This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the my cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Hello and welcome to Savor, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about Pisco. Yes, which is going to be fun with pronunciation because we already had a bit of a pronunciation emergency. I mean, emergency is a strong word, but we had to look up yeah, they, they're, what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, there are no emergencies in infotainment podcasting. Um, but 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 yes, uh, just uh, I was like, okay, here you go. You ready to talk about Pisco? And Annie was like, you mean Pisco? And I was like, let us check. Let us super <laughs> double check that one. I've always, I don't think I've ever heard this word out loud before. Right. Uh and I, I had heard it out loud, but as I was kind of joking, it was a bit of a, a I don't know, like seven or eight years ago, I was in Peru. Uh-huh. Um, I did. I wasn't familiar with this at the time, and my memory is fuzzy both from the Pisco <laughs> and the time that has passed, I okay. will say. Fair. <laughs> yes. Fair. Uh, which brings us to uh, our, our, our always note on episodes like this, drink responsibly. Yes, yes. Uh, and I, okay, so I, d- I did go to Peru a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. I think I've told this story before because I was, I could have sworn up and down, this is happening more often, Lauren, that we had already done a Pisco episode. <laughs> we have not. We have um, not. I had to check as well. So, um, yes. I think we've talked about it before. And I think I told this story before, but I will tell it again because <laughs> I was. I don't know. I'm a huge nerd. I'm sure that's no surprise to anybody. Uh-huh. 
And <laughs> I saw this, I think it was in Lima, but it might have it might not have been. Um, it might have been in Cusco. But I saw this place and it was called Translated, the Museum of Pisco. Okay. I was like, ooh, a museum. Yeah. Um, and I walked in and I I went up to the front and it was a very like clean white space. It had a whole um illustration of how Pisco is made and like the history of Pisco on the walls. And I went up um to what appeared to be a bar. And I was like, I would like one ticket to the museum, please. And the guy gave me such like a <laughs> deadpan stare. Uh-huh. He was like <laughs> This isn't a museum, it's a bar. That's <laughs> just the name of the bar. Would you like some Pisco? And I was like, well, yes, please. In that case, so... I will take one d- drink of Pisco. Thank you. It was so embarrassing. And I still have a, uh, it's like a postcard, but it has the process of how to make Pisco. And he did. He was very informative and he told me how to make it. But that was sort of my first. Huh. <laughs> well, I was like, oh, I want to learn about this. I've never heard about it before. Uh, it was not a museum. Nope. And I, I tried to buy the ticket in my very broken Spanish. And he. I'm sure he probably tells the story as well. <laughs> <laughs> I am positive that is not the only time that that uh, a mistake has occurred because that, that's a, I mean, and I've seen that in other bars that are named things that are kind of quirky where they're mm-hmm. like, we don't sell hardware here, ma'am and or <laughs> sir. It's, that's just the, it's, would you like a drink? I, that's what there's. Yeah. That's what we got, man. <laughs> It's a, I mean, it worked on me. It was effective. I came in. I was like, oh, I'm going to learn so much. Um, was there any particular reason this was on your mind? No, no, zero, okay. none, none at all. Uh, no, I, I think that the, uh, I was looking through our ideas sheet and I think the Pisco, I'm going to do this all episode. I was looking through our ideas sheet and uh, the Pisco Sour was on there as it has been uh, for the entire time we've been doing this show. And so I've vaguely had it in my head to to do a Pisco episode for this entire time. But uh, now, now, now is the time. <laughs> now, now is the time. Have you ever had any? I am trying to, fi- I've been trying to figure that out this, this entire time I've been reading about this for this outline. Um, I don't think so. Um, so this is a super rare I have absolutely, as far as I can tell, no experience with this product, and 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 you. The tables are turned, Annie. You the have tables. all of this experience. The tables are turned. Uh, <laughs> now I get to see what it's like to live on the other side. <laughs> um, I think one of the reasons I thought we'd already done this episode is uh, over on Stuff I've Never Told You, the other podcast. That I am on. Uh, we have a happy hour segment every week, once a week. Um, and as part of that, we highlight women in the beverage industry. It doesn't have to be alcohol. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And we did one on uh, women who are distilling Pisco. So if you're interested in that, you can go check it out. Um, it's very good. Very good. Because we try it. 
during the episode, which is always a risk, but it was fun. <laughs> uh-huh. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's definitely, I'm super interested in it now. Um, and uh, I'm also relatively unfamiliar with, with brandy as a category. And so, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, oh, man, am I going to go try to find a bottle of Pisco? Like once we finish this recording? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I support it. <laughs> I support it. Uh, the first Saturday in February is International Pisco Sour Day in Peru, and Pisco Day in Peru is the fourth Sunday in July. And I, I suspect, Lauren, and I would love for listeners to write in, there are more days of Pisco <laughs> around the world somehow, <laughs> tangentially. I, I just, it's just a feeling in my gut. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I would, I, I would tentatively agree with you. Okay, I will take that. Um, uh, you can see our wine episodes for more info, related info. Yeah, about grapes for sure. Um, also, th- kind of generally our our liquor episodes, I think we get a little bit into the history of distillation in the scotch episode specifically. Um, uh, and then also the whiskey sour cocktail hour episode. <laughs> Uh, That's fun, isn't it? Isn't that great yeah. to say? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. That that one goes into the history of sours, um, which which is going to be uh, we're we're going to glance through. But yeah, for a deeper history, go see that episode. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, but I guess this brings us to our question. I think it does because we've been we've been running roughshod over a number. <laughs> Of of topic categories without really explaining what the heck we're talking about. Yeah, as we're wont to do. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's fix that. Um, <laughs> Pisco. What is it? Well, uh, Pisco is a type of liquor distilled from wine made from grapes, uh, a type of brandy. Although it is often clear in color, it's not usually considered like a neutral spirit the way vodka might be because pisco is often quite flavorful. Uh, But it can range from like fruity to floral to herbal to funky to earthy. I feel like brandy has a little bit of a reputation, like like a bad reputation for being kind of cloying or sweet or single note um, in a lot of the United States. And that's just super unfair to to the sheer breadth that's possible within the style. Uh, So, yeah, but Pisco can be a lot of things. Um, It's it's generally warming and grape-ish. Uh, yep. <laughs> and like I said, I, I don't have a lot of experience with this, with this one. So like y'all, y'all tell me, um, I have the notion that it's like, um, that it's like a dream of wine. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like stranger and, and more ethereal or, or ephemeral. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree. I feel like, as you said, it, it can taste a lot of ways and I had experiences with sweeter ones I had some way more in your face ones um but it was one of the things and I think this is also just because of like my palate and I hadn't had it until I was you know in college or after college mm-hmm. um that every sip was kind of like surprising <laughs> like ooh, oh fun ooh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it's not that it was different it's just like it was hard to for me to anticipate it. It was like every yeah, time. Oh, huh. interesting. Just, just, just like, just like there's a lot going on and like mm-hmm. in a way that you hadn't specifically had before. So you were exactly. just like, oh, huh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Cool. 
Oh, okay. I need to find some. Okay. All right. So uh, there are two main varieties of pisco, uh, Peruvian and Chilean. Both are made from grapes that grow in fairly arid regions and thus tend to be um, sweet and strong in flavor, the, the, the grapes. Um, they're fermented into wine and then that wine is distilled into pisco. Um, they may be made from blends of grapes or from single grapes, uh, from fully fermented wines or from wines that are stopped partway through fermentation. The Peruvian types um, have more restrictions on their creation because um, they, they, they have a designation of origin, which is one of those sets of rules meant to guarantee the quality of a product by restricting the, the production to specific and often traditional methods. Um, Peruvian styles are made from any of eight types of grapes. They are distilled once and they are aged briefly in um, ceramic, metal, or glass, and then bottled at, uh, at barrel proof, uh, which is 38% to 48% alcohol by volume. Uh, the result can range from clean to funky to earthy to, to bright with fruit um, and a little bit fiery. The Chilean types have fewer restrictions placed on their creation. Um, they are made from any of 13 types of grapes, though I've seen that number range. I'm not totally sure. If anyone does know, please write in. They can be aged in wood barrels and often are to develop the flavor that can also give them a little bit of a uh, amber color. They can be distilled multiple times if, if you want to do that, um, and they can be bottled at a lower proof. The result is often fruity and floral and, and smoother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pisco is often served neat or on the rocks for sipping or, yes, mixed into cocktails. It plays well with a lot of different fruit and herb flavors. I read that it's really great with just tonic, like a pisco and tonic, um, which is sometimes called a piston. Pisco yes. and tonic. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh -huh. I love it. Um, <laughs> uh, but perhaps most commonly, um, it is made into a pisco sour, which involves lime juice and sugar and may additionally involve an egg white and bitters. Uh, we've talked about this before on the show, but if you're skittish about having a raw egg white mixed into your drink, which is so lovely, um, it adds this, this foam and this creaminess that's, that's really just aesthetically and palate pleasing. Um, but if you're mm. skittish about it because of like salmonella, um, Okay, first of all, generally speaking, you do not need to worry about salmonella in raw eggs. Um, the 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 rate of salmonella in the United States, anyway, and and all other developed countries is super low, like ludicrously low. Um, you don't need to worry about it. If you're still worried about it, there has been actual research that has been done specifically with pisco sours, um, <laughs> showing that if you add, if you like, if you like, take an egg white and you specifically add salmonella to it. Like there's definitely salmonella in there. Um, mm -hmm. And then use that egg white to make a pisco sour. That salmonella is undetectable after six minutes and will have been completely inactivated after nine minutes. So. Wow. So. Science. If you're, if you're still, if you're, <laughs> yeah, but science. If you're still concerned, wait at least six minutes. Definitely nine <laughs> to be super safe. And then you're fine. Can you imagine? Oh, that'd be so <laughs> funny. I mean, more power to you, you do you. But if you were at a bar and the bartender's like, everything okay? Like, I'm just waiting nine minutes. Yeah, oh. like like I've started a timer. <laughs> Don't worry. This is part of the process. I'm that all good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I guess related. What about the nutrition? 
drink responsibly. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, we do have some numbers for you. We do. By some estimates, Peru has around 650 operating Pisco distilleries, um, and about 150 of those might be operating illegally. Ooh, huh. Um, There is a Peruvian wine and Pisco festival every March during the yearly grape harvest. It's called uh, La Fiesta de la Vendemia. It's been running since 1958, and there is all of the stuff that you would expect from a festival, uh, plus lots of uh, distillery and winery tours, sandboarding. Um, and yes, a beauty pageant, um, and the contestants, among other things, dance in a, in a vat of grapes to, to, to crush them as part of the, the contest. Uh-huh. Of course. Of course. Of course. Like you do. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, as of 2019, the global market for Pisco was worth some $670 million and growing. Yes. And in the past few decades, the U.S. Pisco market has experienced a lot of growth. Uh, The U.S. is the second largest importer of Pisco after Chile. Um, American import of Pisco doubled between 2010 to 2014. So that's not that long to double. Yeah. Uh, And this is a bit of a reverse. Around 2000, Chile exported around 20 times more than Peru. But now Peru exports two to three times more than Chile. Um, Still, Chile produces around three times as much as Peru annually as of 2013, 30 million liters to 9.5 million liters. And I actually find all of these numbers very, very interesting because it seems like then a lot of it's staying (laughs) where it's made. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That, That balance is always fascinating. Yes, it is. Yeah, and I think it's become clear that we've got kind of a tale of two Piscos going on here. Uh-huh. Yes, we do. And we are going to get into the history of that tale as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app 
Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So again, this is not the grape episode. I feel like similar to potatoes, we're circling grapes a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, uh, it's it's just it's a very broad topic. I mean, I as as we get into in every individual wine episode, like the history of every specific grape is so deep um and so um well recorded. <laughs> mhm. <laughs> uh so yes yeah like down to the specific vine in some cases oh uh, sure so like actual vines that have been held hostage <laughs> yeah um so <laughs> yeah um so note about that uh also as we've been hinting at another history section another fierce fierce debate about origins mm-hmm. mainly here between peru and chile and um, a lot of sources I found definitely were a bit biased. Oh yeah, in their arguments. Uh-huh. So keep that in mind. Sometimes, like overtly so, and sometimes it felt like they maybe didn't realize it. Oh, <laughs> but, oh fun. Yeah, just to keep that in mind, and also ostensibly a food show. This is one of the episodes where I feel like it just showcases so much history that we could go into if we were a history show. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the history section of a food show, but like it, it's interesting. It's got it's got a lot going on about why there is this this debate and all of this uh, claim around who invented Pisco and what it even actually is. Oh, <laughs> so. oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, (laughs) I'm going to try to break it down as much as I can. But as always, listeners, if you have personal experience or knowledge or resources, please let us know. Oh, yeah, please. Yes, because much of the debate here revolves around national pride and a fraught, competitive, complicated history between these two countries. Mm -hmm. Um. A big piece of this feud has to do with the War of the Pacific from 1879 to 1883 when Peru and Bolivia fought against Chile and Chile ultimately won. And obviously, (laughs) this took a toll on the relationship between Chile and Peru that didn't go away when the war ended. Mm -hmm. Um, And then things got worse later on when some Peruvian territory became a part of Chile. And that is a big, we're going to talk about it more, but that's a big part of this argument is like, (laughs) <laughs> when was Chile Chile? When was Peru Peru? All that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. 
All right. So as for the Peruvian claim to Pisco, uh, most of the resources say Pisco got started when the Spanish introduced the country to their winemaking techniques. Uh, they introduced uh, European grapes in the 1500s to Peru. Uh, records from this time describe large vineyards in the area. Um, Spanish missionaries founded the Port of Pisco as the city of Santa Maria Magdalena de Pisco. Uh, so they kept the Quechua named Pisco, meaning bird, and then added the name of a saint. Mm -hmm. um, most sources suggest that this is probably where the name Pisco comes from, because this is where Pisco, the beverage, was coming from. There so you there you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the Quechua are a group of peoples and, and the languages that they speak uh, indigenous to, yes, what is now Peru. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Peruvian winemakers working with grapes brought over from Spain I, I found this in like a couple of places, but I, again, I would love if anybody has more information about this. They learned that the king of Spain had banned their wines due to the fact that they were competing a little too well oh. with, oh. European, oh. with European varieties <laughs> and wines. So Peruvian vintners, uh, they started leaning into distillation. Uh, yeah, and, and and distillation was really coming into its own around this time. Um, alcohol was beginning to be treated not just as a medicine, but as like a fun thing to drink um, in the late 1500s and early 1600s. Yes, and the first known written reference to Pisco does come out of Peru from the 1570s. And by the early 1600s, there are written mentions of a type of brandy frequently called aguardiente or Brandy? <laughs> I don't know. So this gets kind of muddled because many of them were Pisco-like or Pisco-adjacent, but they could have also been not Pisco, or uh, how we would describe Pisco today. Pisco today, yeah. Uh, Aguardiente mm -hmm. is a larger category of, of right. right, of brandies um, from this region. So Right, exactly. So th that kind of gets mixed up a bit. Um, there were also descriptions of how it was made, which clarifies things. And as a way, historians are more like, okay, this is probably Pisco. Mm -hmm. um, the oldest working distillery in Peru, Pisco Distillery, uh, dates back to 1684. In 1687, Peru suffered a devastating earthquake that decimated a huge amount of their wine grapes and wine cellars. And it wasn't until the 18th century that the wine industry there uh, started to recover. Mm. Okay, so um, Peruvians often argue that Pisco only started to pop up in Chile, or, or in the Chilean record anyway, after the war. And after Pisco was being made in Peru for decades, uh, decades before. So a lot of Chile's argument comes from the fact that when records of Pisco first started popping up, there was no Peru technically, and that mm. Peru and Chile were one country. Therefore, they both have a claim to it. And then Peruvians argue back that uh, they were two cultures, separate kingdoms with unique histories. Um, and as mentioned, these two Piscos are very different products in many ways, which neither country disputes that. Um, so, <laughs> a lot of tensions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is not for us to say one way or another. We no, are simply. It is not. We are simply reporting that mm -hmm. these are the arguments. These are the arguments. Um, this one kind of cracked me up. In 1936, Chile's former president, Gabriel Gonzalez, changed the name of a village that Chileans believe, where they believe an ancient Chilean civilization invented their version of Pisco, to Pisco Elqui. 
Um, so I changed the name of this village to that. Uh, and this did not go over well with many Peruvians. Many of them thought it was a blatant attempt to secure a trademark. <laughs> oh. I'm telling you, go look up some articles about this, listeners, because a lot of it is playful and, like, playfully fighting. Some of it is very much not. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that that kind of was like, wow, really? <laughs> um, Chile banned the sale of Pisco from Peru in 1961, and Peru did the same for Chilean Pisco about three decades later. Wow. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then when it comes to the Pisco Sour... Most attribute that drink to Peru. Um, the Peruvian tales suggest that an American expat in Peru named Victor Vaughn, or Vaughn perhaps, Morris, made a riff on the whiskey sour that he called the Pisco Sour at his bar in Lima, which opened in 1916. And then from there, uh, employees moved to other establishments and started refining and spreading this drink. Uh, it called for Peruvian Pisco, lime juice, simple syrup, egg white, ice, and Angostura and Angostura bitters. However, a recent discovery of a recipe from 1903 that is very similar to it has thrown this whole thing into question, this whole story. We talk about that in every cocktail hour. It's so mm -hmm. hard to say. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Chile argues that they invented it, but their version is different. Uh, it calls for Chilean Pisco, perhaps, obviously, uh, pica lime, and without the bitters, and egg white. One expert argues a Chilean recipe for it, for this drink, pops up in 1822. Oh. Um, yeah, but the first printed recipe is usually put in the 1940s somewhere, so again. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Oof. I, this is, especially with a, with a drink as a straightforward as a sour, this, mm -hmm. this is kind of what you would do with right. a liquor around the mid to late. 1800s certainly into the 1900s um that's i you know i'm excited for people if they if they have historical sources and they want to want to pin it to a certain spot and a and point in time i'm really excited about all of that history but but also i'm like oh people probably did that that's probably a thing that people did yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Indeed. And speaking of, uh, <laughs> the Pisco Sour may be related to a cocktail that took San Francisco by storm in the 19th century, the Pisco Punch. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I think I've had Pisco Punch. Um, this drink, gosh, I really think we could come back and do a whole episode on this drink because it was interesting, the, the story behind it. But it really symbolized the wealth that was generated for some people and for that city. Uh, from the gold rush that was happening at that time. Yeah, yeah. This is a gold um, rush drink. Exactly, exactly. And the, quote, original Pisco Punch would set you back $25 in today's money. The inflation that was going on surrounding the gold rush is what made people rich um, yeah. at the time. It was not finding gold. No one really got rich finding gold. Uh, they got rich selling shovels to people who were trying to find gold. Um, that's mm. not just an apocryphal saying um, in a gold rush sell shovels. That is literally how the economics of that time worked. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And and San Francisco, you know, was a port city and it was mm -hmm. one that was flourishing in many ways because of this. Um, Peruvians and their Piscos had long been traded in that city. And that was something that only increased during this gold rush um, as they traveled to San Francisco to put their mining skills to use. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of ships bringing Pisco also transported pineapples, which people were over the moon over. We've oh, talked yeah. about that <laughs> multiple times. Um, and then you add in some lime and some syrup and perhaps a mysterious other ingredient. More on that in a second. And you have a luxurious Pisco punch. Uh, it was strong. <laughs> customers were only allowed to order two as the story goes uh, oh. and yeah so one San Francisco bar in particular frequently gets the credit for the invention of the Pisco Punch and it's the Bank Exchange and Billiard Saloon which going back to your point of like kind of these names of bars where you could misinterpret what's going on I'd be like the Bank Exchange um, so artists of all types frequented this bar some lived above it. One popular legend is that Mark Twain got the inspiration for Tom Sawyer from a local man while drinking Pisco punches there. Okay. <laughs> um, Rudyard Kipling wrote of it, No man but one knows what is in it. I have a theory. It is compounded of the shavings of cherub's wings, the glory of a tropical dawn, the red clouds of sunset, and fragments of lost epics by dead masters. <laughs> I mean, wow. <laughs> that is delightful. I mean, Kipling, what a dude, but uh but that is just a lovely a lovely description of a thing. It is. What a drink. What a drink. Uh and yes, this one this one person who knows what's in it is supposedly the bartender who claims to have invented it, Duncan Nickel. Uh, his name is spelled in multiple ways in a couple places, but yeah. generally, yeah, that. Um, who secured the patent for the recipe in 1887, but he never divulged the mysterious ingredient. That's, oh. we'll never know. <laughs> it's okay. probably nothing. That's a plot point in Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, prohibition was not great for Pisco in the United States in the 1920s and 30s, and the bank exchange and billiard saloon closed. Um, and civil strife in Peru negatively impacted the Peruvian Pisco industry for decades. It wasn't until the 2000s that Pisco started to regain a foothold in the U.S. Yeah. Yes. Um, but as we mentioned in the numbers section, it's really... It's really it's booming. taking off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Pisco Porton's master distiller Johnny Schuler, or Schuyler perhaps, was awarded the Peruvian Congressional Medal of Honor in 2007 for everything he did to popularize Pisco. And he, he boasts the world's largest Pisco collection with an estimated 3,000 bottles. Wow. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. In 2013, the European Commission granted Peru's request for a geographical origin when it comes to Pisco. But I found this interesting. According to one source I read, around 71 countries recognize Peru as the official home of Pisco, while only a handful recognize Chile. And a few recognize both. And this is very wild to me. <laughs> very wild. You can look at the list. Like, there's a whole breakdown of it. Huh. Huh. <laughs> I, again, it is not for us. It is not for us to say no. one way or another. It is not. It is not. Uh, but yes, the debate rages on. Um, I'm sure we'll have, we'll revisit this one in the future, I bet, with an update. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I hope so. Oh, yeah. That's juicy. Yeah, maybe. That's great. I know. Maybe by then you will have tried it. Uh, hopefully. Um, I, I'm serious. Like tonight, I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> Get me the Pisco set. Yes. 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 Um, well, listeners, 
As always, if you have any thoughts on this, uh, any information that we miss, clarifications, and favorite Pisco brands for Lauren and I to try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let us know. Yes, please let us know. But in the meantime, I think that's what we have to say about Pisco for now. Mm-hmm. And we do have some listener mail already prepared for you, and we're going to get into that. But first, we're going to get into one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Full of flavor. That's what Pisco is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also 
also trying to help you because your your voice. I was gonna do like a really high pitch thing, and I was like, "Well, that's not what Lauren." Oh, right thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm recovering from from actually my first bout of COVID, y'all. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. I've had really mild symptoms. I'm super lucky. Um, but I thank you for not trying to make me go. <laughs> really high today. Be terrible. Me. Yeah. No, that would be mean. <laughs> <laughs> I would never. Aww. I would never. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> you are most welcome. Uh, Megan wrote, So I just finished the Gee episode where a letter mentions sugar cream pie, and I rushed to write to encourage an episode on it. Hmm. But then I had a faint memory of trying to explain sugar cream pie in an email to some of my favorite podcasters. Surely that was you two, right? Wrong. <laughs> it was Holly and Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. They talked about Amish pie on an episode which sounded very similar to sugar cream pie to me. So I wrote an email to them about it. And then I forgot to send the email. Whoops. <laughs> anyway, sugar cream pie is delicious. I'm from a town on the Ohio-Indiana border, so it's pretty popular where I grew up. There are many debates about which recipe is the best, and the restaurants in the area that make it carefully guard their secret touches. Hmm. One decided to publish their recipe and recipes for other desserts when they went out of business in the 90s in the newspaper, and my mom still has the clippings. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. It is. You know we love a good localized regional food, and I i mean, add in some pie, and I am sold. Oh, sure. Uh, right, right. And like, and like... <laughs> Okay, like I've heard of this. I don't know exactly what it is or what it's made of. Um, I don't think I've ever had it, but I'm from Ohio uh, originally, mm -hmm. but I'm from the east end of Ohio. I'm from like the Pennsylvania, uh, oh. Ohio border. So, so. What was that, the pie like there? So, so, so that is how localized this is. Um, I love it. Oh my gosh, I love it, and I, I'm like now I want to know about Amish pie uh, now, and also like what pies do I make that people wouldn't know what I'm talking about? I had never had mm. pecan pie before I moved what? to to Atlanta. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Now we just need to do a whole episode that's just like regions of pies. <laughs> Where can you get this pie? <laughs> that sounds like a whole other podcast. <laughs> Does. And I'm tempted to undertake it. I am tempted. Uh, but this is definitely on our list. Uh, yeah, because yeah, uh, multiple people have written in about it. Love it. Uh, can't wait to can't wait to learn more. And I, recipe was included in this, so that's exciting. Oh, um, very exciting. Huh. Mm -hmm. huh. uh, Kara or Kara wrote, I have a trifecta for you. My dog has a good name, a good costume, and it's a pun. So here's Taco in his uh, costume contest winning costume. He's a beagle and cream cheese. <laughs> yes. Oh. I actually had fully planned a different costume, but had supply issues and the pouring rain at the last minute and threw this together. It was a hit. Um, also, Maynard uh, is a baby cow. He came in second in the contest. <laughs> um, in pod content related news, it's called Taylor Ham. And it's a staple from my childhood and, let's be honest, adult visits uh, to my grandma's house on the Jersey Shore. The cruelest thing is that I don't live in Jersey, so I can't eat it every day. You'll never believe the shock and happiness when I walked into a deli in Las Vegas and saw a Taylor ham and egg sandwich on the menu. 
And then enclosed, there are photographs of uh, of Taco and Maynard. Um, uh, Taco is indeed a beagle. And and this beagle has a little Philadelphia cream cheese um, placard uh, costume. <laughs> uh, beagle and cream cheese. Oh, my goodness. What mm-hmm. a good what a good dog. Um, mm-hmm. And then <laughs> Maynard is dressed like a little baby cow with the little ears and the little horns. And I think this is also a beagle, but it's hard to tell because it's head on and, and it's licking its own nose because um, it's very just very, it's very excited. Uh, yeah. And I this is such both of these are very, very, very good dogs. Thank you for sharing them with us. Yes, we continue to be delighted by all these pictures, all your pun names, all your costumes. So talented. All you listeners are so talented. Oh, seriously. This is the best. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm so glad we've we've asked of this and that you have answered the call. Um, oh. And also, oh, my gosh, the amount of it's Taylor Ham. No, it's pork roll emails we've gotten. <laughs> listeners, you are in for a treat in future episodes. Uh, it's uh, we've adored every minute of it. Yeah, yeah. We should keep a tally according to Saver we listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny. We've gotten memes. I think we've gotten some statistics. Like, serious business. It's serious business. <laughs> <laughs> um, the most so, serious. Yes, absolutely. Oh, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if you want to be involved in that tally, get, get to writing. Yeah, um, yeah. Yes. And thanks to both of these listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.